Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our 50th episode in fact of our twice weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman, with me as always Prashant Iyer. Prashant, how you holding up? Uh, it's been a handful of days now of, um, you know, most people being working from home. I'm still unfortunately going into the hospital most days of the week, although we've even pared down our staffing a certain extent to where I'm going to be staffing from home for the next two weeks, which is, if that tells you anything about hospitals taking personnel out of the, out of the building physically, that, that should tell you about how serious this all is. But holding up all right, uh, putting together the new house, uh, little by little each day. What about you, Max? Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm hanging in there. My my job was going to pivot to a whole lot of being at home anyway within a couple of weeks, so it's kind of just like that came early, other than the fact that you can't really go anywhere else, but um, I think I've got it fairly easy as far as that goes um, without, you know, major, major uprooting. In fact, I've actually had a little bit of success just getting people on the phone uh, that, you know, might have been tougher to pin down times in the past, so... Um, I'm staying pretty busy, but I know it's 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 pretty rough out there for you know a lot of people kind of transitioning to the work from home. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to start the episode by just talking a little bit about how you know you've been spending some of your free time sans sports, and and I'll do the same because certainly I'm still uh, making a little bit of time every night to to do something fun. So what what have been your pastimes throughout this whole experience? Yeah, I mean the, the free time honestly for me has been very interesting just because uh, you know not accustomed to having to come home and then just stay at home. And and with the way our hospital has, has shifted the staffing model, I've actually been staffing evenings, which is very different for me. So what I've basically been doing in my mornings is, like I said, I just bought a house, just moved in last weekend. So everything gets hung up, uh, ordering curtains, spending lots of money that uh, you know I don't have to, to try and get this house a little tidied up. So like I was kind of mentioning on the last episode, it's been tough because I haven't even noticed that I haven't really had sports because I've been working in the evenings and in my mornings I've been spent trying to put together our house. So time has honestly been flying by. I couldn't even tell you what day of the week or what, what the date of the month is at this point with how everything's run together. Well, I have noticed that there has been no sports. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> what uh, what What sporting events have you invented at home? I've seen... I've seen curling with Roombas. I've seen curling with uh, pots and pans going across a uh, a buttered kitchen floor. Max, what have you come up with? Nothing really. I what I'm really missing is like when I was in college, my roommates and I would invent all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, we had a game in my freshman and sophomore year dorm, um, just kind of like chair basketball, and it was basically a free throw shooting contest, but it was timed and it was how many you could make while standing on this one chair in the middle of our dorm on like a mini foam uh, basketball hoop that we would just, you know, put basically on our closet. And so it was kind of like a beat the clock thing. And I'm missing stuff like that right now at a time like this. I really do miss stuff like that. I mean, I, uh, at, at home, I've just been doing a little bit of PS4. So I started my be a pro mode, uh, on NHL 19, which I never ended up doing. I, I, I you know, to be a pro mode, but uh, it's going okay. I'm in the AHL. I got drafted by the Blackhawks, so I'm with the Ice Hogs scoring. I've been injured a lot. That's been my big complaint is that I keep having to miss long stretches of time, but I've got uh, 23 points in 15 games, I think, so doing okay on that end. Uh, my defense consistently gets bad grades, so a little, little uh, that's something i got to work on for sure as I try to ascend to the NHL level. I've also played uh, the board game Pandemic, ordered that, and it's really fun. I had a really good time with that. Um, so a little bit on the nose there, of, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's certainly <laughs> leaning into it. Um, but I, I had a really good time with it. I mean, I, it's, uh, I, I think I'd played one time, but I don't think I played the original. I think I played Pandemic Legacy a couple years ago when I went to visit a buddy, uh, in Minnesota and they had the game. So, um, now ordered the, the original and, and enjoyed that quite a bit. I'm telling myself that I'm going to read some books over this experience. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, I'm not lying to myself about that. So, but we'll find <laughs> out as, as time goes by. Fair enough. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty eventful. It sounds that way, doesn't it? Doesn't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this is day eleven for me that I've basically been in the house because once I canceled my uh, trip to DC, uh, I basically that was like, all right, well, if I'm canceling travel, then I probably should just lock up in the house. And other than a couple walks or uh, you know the occasional trip to Meyer or to pick up takeout, so that's probably three total trips for me out of the house in the last 11 days so i am starting to feel a little bit like uh like a like a goldfish right now but yeah that's that's tough i mean like i said for a lot of people it's been really really challenging but i would encourage everybody to uh, come up with your best sporting events uh you know yes, chair basketball certainly us. sounds entertaining i i would love to hear what you come up with because you know i'm i'm eventually going to go stir crazy i've never had to work from home never even thought about how I would do that in any capacity. So I'm certain the next two weeks I'm going to need many sources of entertainment. So send us, send them our way. If you, if you come up with a, an interesting sporting event that you can do at home. Absolutely. And especially if it doesn't require that many people, uh, we could get some kind of listener competitions going where you just submit the video of yourself doing whatever it is. And you know, if, if it's time trials of any kind, we can have uh, listener competitions for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. All right, awesome. All right, cool. How you want to give us a report from the front lines before we head into hockey? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll tell you this: uh, front lines speaking, uh, even that, you know, like I said, my job has been taken to to going at home now because again, I am not. When you're eventually boiling it down, um, the role that I play as a pharmacist in the hospital, I can still impact my team and, and the decisions made without having to physically be on rounds, without having to consume that personal protective or PPE equipment, um, you know, chewing through that. And, and, you know, the shortages are real. We don't have a lot. We've been asked to reuse. We've been asked to limit the number of people that go into rooms. We've been asked to to try and make the most of the supplies that we have just to, to make sure things are as uh, limited to really essential personnel. We've kind of created an intensive care unit that's dedicated to only taking uh, patients that present with uh, with the novel coronavirus. Uh, we've dedicated a floor for after they get stable enough to come out of the intensive care unit. That floor is going to take those patients. We have a set team that's going to take care of them. We've really collapsed down the amount of hospital personnel. I mean, to give you an idea of how serious this is, we're not even allowing visitors into the hospital except under special circumstances. And and those circumstances really are, if, you, if you're a kid in the hospital, you get to have a parent there and, you know, if you've had a surgery in the last 24 hours, you can have a visitor. And then if it's an end-of-life situation, you know, we're, we're allowing visitors in on a case-by-case basis. But to really tell you how much, you know, this is uh, having an impact, that's kind of the level that the hospital has gone to. And it's a uncomfortable environment to be in. It's it's certainly a, a bit taxing mentally to have to think about that. But like I said, I... You know, I, I am lucky that, in, in a sense, uh, my job is not needing to be on the front front lines, and and I can support remotely to to make sure that the people that really are on the front lines still have all the equipment and support that they need. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, appreciate the updates, uh, as always, on that side of things. Uh, you ready to transition into some hockey stuff? Let's do it. All right, so we've got kind of a uh, a list going of, of various things we can talk about throughout this this quarantine and this consider this kind of a call if there are things you would like us to talk about send them our way and we will add them to the list uh, but we pulled a couple for today and uh, we're going to start with one of them which is kind of one of those you know you know those like twitter things where it's like build a team on this budget and they kind of give you the the five dollar tier the four dollar tier the three dollar tier so we got one of those an all-time red wings team this one's for eighteen dollars because it's six players when you consider the goalie so basketball it's usually 15 but there's only five uh, players involved there so the five dollar tier is Gordie Howe, Steve Eiserman, Alex Delvecchio, Nick Lidstrom, Red Kelly, Terry Sawchuk. The four dollar tier Pavel Datsuk, Sergei Fedorov, Ted Lindsay, Chris Chelios, Vladimir Konstantinov, Dominic Hasek. Did you edit that and put Hasek in the four dollar tier? I did. I changed it up on you just just before we had to do this. Yeah you just want to find a way to get Hasek in your lineup. You're exactly Three dollar right. tier is Henrik Zetterberg, Sid Abel, Brendan Shanahan, Larry Murphy, Reed Larson, and Chris Osgood. The $2 tier is Norm Ullman, Sid Howe, John O'Grodnick, Paul Coffey, Marcel Pronovost, and Mike Vernon. And the $1 tier, Igor Larionov, Mickey Redmond, Marcel Dion, Marty Pavlich, Jack Stewart, Brian Rafalski, Nicholas Cronwall, and Jimmy Howard. So, even though you've slightly cheated on the tiers, I'm going to let you go first here. All right, so I think my first pick here has to be uh, Dominic Koshik in the $4 <laughs> tier. <laughs> I'd be kind of pissed if you rearranged him and then didn't pick him. <laughs> I mean, I had to take him, but in all, with all due respect, if you're thinking about balancing how great the player is with what they meant to the Red Wings, you know, Terry Sachuk is an all-time great goaltender, uh, and I, when I was building this out, the, these different tiers, I did this in consultation with... Uh, Greg Krupa, formerly of the Detroit News, who, you know, has been watching the Red Wings for 50 years and could actually give me some sort of perspective on, and how great the, the all-time greats were for the Red Wings. So a lot of the historical pieces is done with his input. With that being said, I think you think about what Sawchuk meant to the Red Wings, uh, the number of years he was there, uh, for the team. I think that's why he has to go in that $5 tier, but, you know, conveniently, if I'm gonna take the first pick, I'm gonna take Dominic Hashik in the $4 tier. Now, just to clarify, are we we're we're not doing overlap? I assume. Yeah, no overlap. We're going to make this tougher on us because you and I yeah. can't overlap. But you guys out there, feel free to take whoever you'd like to construct the best team you possibly can. Yep. All right. I like that. All right. Well, uh, I like to build from the back, so I'm going to start with Nick Lidstrom. All right. So Max has already burned his first five dollars on Nick Lidstrom, and so I'm at four dollars right now with with Dominic Hasek, and so I think. You know, thinking about this, you have, from my perspective, I've got $14 left to work with. I've got five spots to fill. That means I can spend roughly $3 a spot. Um, I think the big thing that you're looking for when you're constructing an all-time great team is you're trying to find the guys that can do all aspects of the ice. You're, you're trying to avoid the, the one-dimensional players as much as possible. And, and granted, in Red Wings history, you don't have a lot of those, so... I think the next pick for me uh, has to be Sergey Fedorov, also out of that $4 tier. All right. Well, then I better go and take Steve Eiserman. I'm going to get done with my $5 shopping early. All right. So uh, you've just I'm spent gonna... like 60% of your money on, on two players? That's how I do it. All right, Max. I see it. 
that's fine. You know, that's a that's one way to that's one way to go about it. So, obviously, Max, you've gone for the big Red Wings greats as well as as, as good of a player as you can do. Um, I think from my standpoint, if I'm gonna uh, be slick here. I think I'm going to drop down into the three dollar range, and I'm going to take Henrik Zetterberg there. A good pick. Uh, I'll take Nicholas Cronwall. Try to get try to get some average annual value considerations back in my favor. Uh, I would just rewatch the 2009 uh, Stanley Cup final against Pittsburgh the other day for a story. I know a lot of Red Wings fans uh, weren't happy that we did that, but it was a really good game to watch, and the biggest. Uh, takeaway I had from that game was how incredible a player, uh, Nicholas Cromwell was. That was, you know, pretty close to his peak. He was unbelievable in that game. Uh, and I will happily match him up next to Nicholas Littstrom on my blue line and get that squared away right off the hop. It's not a bad way to do it. And I think, uh, what I'll, if you're, if you're looking for something to do at home, one of the things you should do is, is go to some of these advanced, uh, stats websites out there like HockeyViz. Dot com run by Michael Blake McCurdy or go to uh, Evolving Hockey and check out the, the website from run by the, uh, the Evolving Wild Twins. And from the period of about 2008 to 2013, I would encourage everybody to just take a peek at what Nicholas Cronwall's stats look like. Um, I think a lot of people forget that in that time frame, you know, the Red Wings still had Nick Lidstrom, they had Brian Rafalski, they had Brad Stewart, they had a lot of guys that kind of overshadowed uh, Nicholas Cronwell to a certain extent. You could make a legitimate argument that between 2008 and 2013, Nick Cronwell was one of the 10 best defensemen in the NHL, and he just never got that recognition. He never got the Norris love uh, because he was always overshadowed by Nick Lidstrom uh, and then Brian Rafalski to a certain extent because uh, obviously Cromwell was getting those second pairing minutes. So there was a five-year window where he was arguably one of the 10 best defensemen in the NHL, if not one of the five best defensemen, when you really consider the impact he had on the ice. So definitely a really solid value pick if you're picking out of the $1 range there, Max. Yeah, so if this was a... Well, this is your pick next, isn't it? Yeah, so I've got my pick now. Um, obviously, through three picks, both you and I have spent... Exactly eleven dollars, uh, but I haven't taken a defenseman yet. So, from my standpoint, I'm going to go into the two dollar tier, and I'm going to take Paul Coffey, an excellent puck moving defenseman who came to the Red Wings kind of in the latter part of his career. Uh, he had played a lot of time with the Edmonton Oilers, played with the Gretzky Oilers, uh, won a lot of Stanley Cups with him. Just an unbelievably talented offensive defenseman. Uh, probably the one of the best scoring defensemen I think the NHL's ever seen since Bobby Orr. So I think he's a great value pick at two dollars simply because he didn't spend a ton of time with the with the Red Wings, but he was a phenomenal player overall. All right, I'm going to go all out on the top end talent here, and I'm going to take Pavel Datsuk as one of my wingers at four dollars. That's going to bring me up to a total already of fifteen dollars with two more spots to fill. And, and for those of you at home, Max initially wanted to do this at $15. And, and, and so just so you know, Max would have already capped himself out and played with... Uh, well, I would have drafted people. differently. I'm just going to pretend that you wouldn't have drafted any differently and you would still be in the exact same position. I might play 4v5 with that 4. I mean, that's not a bad 4v5. That's not a bad 4v5 at all. In fact, that team did lose to the Edmonton Oilers in the first round in 2006. So uh, just saying that out loud. All right, let's see. I've got my next pick here. I have spent $13, so I have 
$5 left for two positions. So I'm going to take my next defenseman as Larry Murphy. So I now have a puck-moving combination of Paul Coffey and Larry Murphy on the back end. So I will just say that that puck is going to be moving up ice at rapid speed to those forwards. Well, Pavel Datsyuk's going to pick most of those off, but I, I, mean, I appreciate it. It's, it's a good effort by you for sure. Good effort. Uh, I'll that. take Igor Larionov as my $1 forward, get a little bit of uh, a veteran leadership in there and, uh, you know, some, some good hockey sense going. Uh, I, I like Larionov as a good balancing act point here, right? I think he, he bridges the gap generationally. Well, actually he's the oldest guy here, but, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, Larionov, I think a lot of people, again, it's very similar to, some of the other guys that got to Detroit later in their career. Larry Onoff was arguably one of the most talented players to ever play. Um, obviously, he didn't come over to the NHL until he was much, much older, already 30, because um, he spent most of his time over in the Soviet Union playing for the Red Army team, playing that style. He's one of the most brilliant players to ever play uh, for the Red Wings. Obviously, he was a guy that was a huge mentor to Pavel Datsuk when Datsuk first joined the Wings. Uh, back in 2001, uh, Datsuk was often, uh, he didn't actually know much English at that point, so he would he would basically learn a lot through Larianoff. It was Larianoff's job to really take him under his wing. And so Larianoff's an excellent player to put right next to Pavel Datsuk again. Uh, and playing along with Steve Eisman, that's a, that's a line that's really going to have the puck almost 100% of the time. All right, so let's see here. I've got uh, six, nine... Uh, 13, 16. So I have $2 left for my last pick. And this, uh, <clears throat> this last pick here, I, I have to give this nod to, to Greg Krupa. He's, uh, you know, he pointed out that when I initially made this list, one guy that I left off the list, uh, but probably belonged to be on this list was Sid Howe. So Sid Howe, again, flew, uh, kind of flew under the radar for the wings, um, you know, back when he was playing, uh, in the 60s. And he, again, was an excellent player for the Red Wings. Spent a large part of his career in Detroit. Um, or sorry, why did I say 60s? 30s is what I meant to say. 30s and 40s for Sid Howe. Um, you know, he spent a large part of his career in Detroit. I think he spent 10 or 11 seasons uh, for the Red Wings. Scored a lot of points, nearly 500 points for the Wings. He was almost a point-per-game player uh, back in that era. So he's a guy that I think a lot of people just don't know um, a ton about just because he played, again, you know, before you know, World War II and really through that era for the Red Wings. And so I think he's a guy that's going to be an excellent uh, addition next to Zetterberg and Fedorov to play with the puck and puts me at exactly $18. All right. I like that. Uh, obviously, I need a goalie, and the $2 goalie is Mike Vernon. Uh, I don't – I've never seen Mike Vernon play, but I assume he's good. So, I mean, he did, he did win a Stanley Cup for the Red Wings in, in 1997. What I would say is you do have an edge in fighting talent for goaltenders – uh, solely if we're going to compare Mike Vernon's success against Patrick Waugh to Dominic Hasek's attempt to fight Patrick Waugh. For those of you that remember, Hasek went, you know, trying to keep up the tradition of Red Wings goalies fighting Patrick Waugh after Vernon did it in 97 and, and Osga did it in 98. Well, Oz, uh, Hasek goes down in, in 2002 to try and start the fight, but he slips on Waugh's stick and falls and slides right into the end boards, and they never actually fight. So I will give you the nod for uh, for fighting uh, goaltenders. 
My one concern is that Vernon's save percentages are, are thoroughly unimpressive through his career, but I have to assume that's a generational thing that, you know, goalies of that era just couldn't possibly have had very good save percentages. Yeah, I mean, a lot, the dead puck era for hockey really didn't come into play until, you know, the, the 97, 98, 99, that's kind of when the puck, uh, when the, the rules really shifted and, and it was a lot harder to do what you could. Um, I mean, 92, 93 was one of the most, uh, Vernon, again, spent a lot of his time in Calgary uh, playing behind a team that was quite good. But, again, that was his save percentage was indicative of that era. All that being said, he was still a very fun goalie to watch. But your goalie, I think, is 5'8". Five 5'9". Five um, so I don't know how. 5'9". All right, fine. I don't know how well he's going to do in today's NHL. Yeah, how tall is Dominic Hasek? 6'1". Prashant uh, leaning on height as usual, as I'm accustomed to him doing as, in all <clears> draft-related <throat> matters, just relying on the... The, the taller player. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're going to just completely ignore the skill difference between Hashik and Vernon. <laughs> well, we've got our rosters now here. You've got Hashik, Paul Coffey, Larry Murphy, Sergey Fedorov, Henrik Zetterberg, Sid Howe. Very good roster. I've got Mike Vernon, Nick Lidstrom, Nicholas Cromwell, Pavel, Pavel Datsuk, Igor Larionov, and Steve Eiserman. And I will say, it's a good thing you've got Dominic Hashik because I think I'm going to have the puck a lot. I mean, I don't know, man. Sergey Fedorov has an MVP. Henrik Zetterberg's a con smite. Sid Howe's obviously a point-per-game player back in the 30s and 40s for the Red Wings. And and Coffey and Murphy, they're going to turn the puck up ice at every opportunity. But, you know, that's that's the thing. That's why I take Dominic Hasek. He is the ultimate human eraser. You make a mistake, Hasek's got it for you. I mean, the, the guy really set the curve for, for goaltending. That's why I told you, even on the last episode, I would consider taking him first overall in an ultimate draft where you're basically selecting yeah, and then you moved his ranking ever. to four dollars <laughs> oh well i had to do that because i had to make sure i could afford him because otherwise i wouldn't have been able to afford him i know you cheated That's uh fair enough. and i still won but um i have two abiding theories in games like these number one is that the young the newer generation players as you would put it, newer is better. The, the new generation's players inherently grew up faster, more skilled. All of these things that I think when you reach too far back, yeah, it's great to put up a point-per-game player for a long time, uh, but they wouldn't do it today. I don't think the game has just fundamentally changed. So unless we're playing this game in, in Sid Howe's era, uh, I'm not sure that, that he's necessarily going to hold up uh, to, the, to the pace that, that my team wants to play at. That's fair. I mean, that's a reasonable thing to say because if we're saying that we're playing this in today's NHL and and we're assuming that Sid Howe is not having any of the training or or luxuries afforded to him of today's players, then then sure, he may not have that same capacity. But I kind of chose to think about it as how good were these players in their prime relative to the other players on the ice? And and if I just have that actual talent piece and I'm putting those guys in, in the on the ice together and, and in that system that that talent's ultimately going to overrun. And so, you know, I reached back a little bit further. I had to give a nod back to the, the older Red Wings era because, you know, you can't take everybody just from 1990 on. So, you know, I think I think Sid House would fit right in playing with Fedorov and Zetterberg. My other abiding theory in games like this always is that the difference in the 5 and $4 tiers is way different uh, or is, is way more pronounced five to four or five and four dropping off to three 
than three dropping off into one. So I like to build my teams at the polar ends of these. I like to get m- multiple $5 players if I can. If I, if, if not, then I'm going to get one $5 player and two $4 players. Uh, and then I'm going to build up with, with most of the, t- like, like Nicholas Cromwell for a dollar. That's a steal. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, when everybody goes to evaluate our teams here, you're going to notice that I took all my players out of two, three, four and Max, you took, uh, two, two fives, fives, two ones, two and ones. Yep. So. You know, it's, again, a very different style of uh, building these. To me, the way I view it is very similar to you, um, but I view the trade-off between a 5 and a 4 to not be that much, so I might as well take the 4, and I view that the the trade-off between a 2 and a 1, I think the 2 is maybe a little bit better than the 1, and so if I can have that 2 by dropping from the 5 to the 4, then I'm comfortable. I mean, you know, you think about Fedorov versus Eiserman. Eiserman's in the 5, Fedorov's in the 4. That's fair. Right? You think about it. Fedorov got an MVP then, and there was a significant debate when the two were on the same team that which one was actually the better player. And, and Scotty Bowman called Sergei Fedorov the most talented player he ever really coached in the sense that he could play. He, he said if he would and went and played defense, he would win a Norris Trophy. And so you look at that and you kind of go, huh, Delvecchio versus, you know, Lindsay. Uh, you know, you look at Howe versus Datsuk. I think you're talking about guys that are not that far apart when you're thinking about their impact on the game. So uh, I, that's where I think the $4 tier is maybe the money spot. Were this not a draft, and we were both picking kind of authentic teams, uh, or not authentic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Independent teams? Uh, I would have started with Lidstrom still, but I probably would have gone both Datsuk and Zetterberg out of the $4 tier. Uh, and or sorry, uh, Datsuk and Fedorov out of the four dollar tier, uh, which probably would have allowed me then to get Chris Osgood as my goalie. Uh, but once Fedorov was gone, it was clear that I was going to have to load up uh, even more on you know up up with Steve Eiserman, who you know frankly I think those guys are pretty interchangeable, like you said. But I believe you took Fedorov before I took Eiserman. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fedorov was my second pick because again I thought the two are interchangeable, and so you might as well spend a dollar less. But I think the the gap between Lidstrom and any other defenseman was so huge. That's why I, I leaned that for the first pick. And that's fair. That that was honestly a brilliant strategy because Nick Lidstrom, relative to you know anybody else in the Red Wings history, uh, I think it's it's a pretty sizable gap. What I think is interesting though is that the two approaches we took are do somewhat mirror different approaches to uh actual NHL team building. I mean, I think I I probably built my team a little bit in the mold of the Leafs where you're spending a ton of money um on a few really elite guys uh and then just hoping you're going to be able to get enough, you know, kind of sneaky talent in those lower, we'll call them the ELC level contracts whereas you just got quality quality players top to bottom. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, if you're looking at NHL teams and you're trying to mirror what the two of us really did, I think Toronto's an excellent comparison for you. You went after the high-dollar talent and tried to fill in the pieces, and I went for something more similar to what St. Louis has done, which is basically drop talent all throughout the lineup as much as possible uh, and and really see what you can do. And then ultimately, I went for the the ultimate eraser in Ned and Dominic Hasek to make sure that... If I am ever overmatched from a talent standpoint, you know, you've got the, the, the human eraser in net, and that's why I dropped his price from five to four to make sure I could have that, assuming that Max would give me the first pick. So it all worked out in the end. Wow, so you took advantage of my good-naturedness. I took advantage of your generosity. 
<laughs> I respect it, honestly. I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. All right, uh, back into the well then. Shall we move on to the next subject? Yeah, so obviously uh, with everyone, you know, we'll post these uh, lineup cards for everyone to make their own teams. Send in the best teams you think uh, uh, you can make, and then also let us know who would actually win a game between the two of our teams because I need this for bragging rights because I'm pretty sure I lost the last time we did something similar to this. I thought that one turned out pretty close. I think we got about a 50-50 split in verdict. Yeah, but I think the percentages favored you, and so I wasn't super happy with that. All right. Well, yeah, let us know. Let us know whose team you, you, you'd take. I mean, what is a seven-game series, a game seven? Yeah, let's go. All right, yeah, seven-game series. Who's going to win Great. this? All right, let's do it. All right, so then the, kind of the next um, you know segment that we'll really spend some time on, and we'll spend some time on doing these over the next few episodes, is is basically talking about some of the big moments or pivotal moments in Red Wings history and and what would have happened if, if the opposite happened or what would have happened if it went differently. And no, we're not going to talk about the 2009 Stanley Cup Finals because I have no patience to talk about that. That never happened. But what we are going to talk about is what if the Red Wings didn't trade the Pavel Datsuk contract? And so probably over the last decade, I'd say this is one of the most pivotal moments in Red Wings franchise history. The decision to trade Datsuk's contract after Datsuk had decided that he no longer was going to play in Detroit. He had one year left on his contract at $7.5 million. He was going to go back to Russia. And so that contract, uh, frankly, would either have served as $7.5 million of dead cap space on the Red Wings cap because you wouldn't have been able to put that on long-term injured reserve. The Red Wings would not have been able to afford the buyout of that. Uh, and so, therefore, the only option was you either eat $7.5 million for one year or you try and trade that contract to somebody who's willing to eat that for set, for that one year. So ultimately, the Red Wings get to the draft. They hold the 16th pick in the draft. They make the decision to trade the 16th pick in the draft, along with the Pavel Datsu contract, to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for the 20th pick in the draft, the 53rd pick in the draft, Joe Vitale, who ultimately uh, spent the entirety of his contract on long-term injured reserve due to con- uh, concussion histories, and Detroit gets that $7.5 million in cap space. Um, now that 20th pick, we all know, turns into Dennis Chalowski, and the 53rd pick that year turns into Philip Ronick. So with that being said, how do you foresee the Red Wings looking had they not made that deal? Because ultimately we know in hindsight that the, that $7.5 million goes to Thomas Vanek, Franz Nielsen, and the Red Wings spend a lot of money in that 2016 offseason that they're still kind of recovering from. So, Max, what do you think uh, about this situation? And, and knowing what you know now, would you have done anything differently? Um, I don't know how to answer that part. How it would be different, obviously you're going to have had Jacob Chikrin in your lineup uh, ever since, right? He's played at least 50 games every season, had some injury issues, but he was an NHLer that year at age 18 and a pretty good one. You know, it started off... 20 points, uh, and, you know, he's mostly stayed around that level. He was on track to have a better year uh, this year, of course, which I think was the first year of his uh, second contract. So, number one, you're going to have 
you know, a, a kind of bona fide uh, top four defenseman in place for those four years. I think Philip Ronick is also a top four uh, defenseman, but, you know, Chikrin certainly has been around longer, more established. I get that for sure. So uh, that's one side of it. The other side of it is do you go out and sign Franz Nielsen? Uh, that's a tough one. I, I don't think you have the money to do it, but it's not like in the absence of Pavel Datsuk, uh, the Red Wings were probably just going to punt the center position that year. Now, the argument is that the real hypothetical is, does it force them to rebuild sooner? Which I think is a really interesting question. Uh, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, if it, if it forces them even slightly into, play even slightly worse in that 2016-17 season, do they creep up a couple slots in the 2017 Draft? Are they drafting closer to like you know? I don't. I'm still guessing they're probably not getting into that bottom uh, bottom four where you had uh, Makar and Miro Heiskanen drafted. Uh, but can they get into that five, six, seven spots? Uh, there were still some pretty good players uh, on the board in those places. Elias Pettersson went fifth. Cody Glass went sixth. Elias Anderson didn't didn't hit. Uh, neither did uh, Casey Middlestead as of yet. Uh, but you know, could they move up? four spots and get to Elias Pettersson. I, that's an interesting what if. Um, so I think those are all kind of the considerations that you're making here. My guess is uh, you see the Red Wings ultimately come out in a pretty similar place, uh, but maybe looking a little bit different. Yeah, I think I think your take is exactly spot on. I think, you know, knowing what we know now, uh, I think I certainly would have done things differently, you know, back at that time. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that the Red Wings don't make that deal, that they eat the seven and a half million that season. Uh, they choose not to move, uh, out of the 16th spot and they take Jacob Chikrin, uh, at 16th overall. And again, you know, putting yourselves back in those shoes, remember that Chikrin was at one point that season projected to be the number two player in the draft. Uh, a lot of people were really, really high on him. And then as the season kind of progressed on, Chikrin started to slide more and more and more. And so it's clear that the Red Wings weren't the only team that had a concern about him and that potentially other teams did have that same concern given that he had gotten all the way to 16. So, you know, in the moment, you, you really had no idea. Now, now Chikrin, we knew, was a talented player, but could he stay healthy? What were the concerns about him? Why did he slide? I don't know that all of that's well known. But if you look at the 2016-2017 season, you know, I think your point is well made that if the Red Wings eat that seven and a half million, if they don't go out and sign Thomas Vanek, if they don't go out and sign Franz Nielsen, um, and if they don't go out and make those deals that they made, it's conceivable that the Red Wings finish a lot worse than they actually finished. Uh, you know, they finished, uh, 14th in the East, which, uh, and they were seventh in the Atlantic. They were 33, 36, and 13. I think conceivably, if you remove Franz Nielsen and Thomas Vanek from the team, uh, you know, that year, I think Nielsen scores 41 points, Vanek scores 38 points. You take those two guys out, I think you're talking about a bottom three team. And then again, you know, the dominoes kind of fall, all right? If you're a bottom three team and you're in the 2017 draft, you know, you're you're potentially in, in the territory of Heiskanen, Makar, Pedersen, Cody Glass, as opposed to being at nine, where the Red Wings ultimately ended up picking Michael Rasmussen. So uh, very interesting. Now, that draft, again, was slanted more towards the top five. There was a lot of interchangeability between six and 15. You know, even in the 2017 draft, Timothy Logren was 
supposed to be as high as two or three, and he was a guy that slid after he got mono that draft year. But I think ultimately when I look at this situation, I do think that if you don't make that deal, the Red Wings can't sign it really Franz Nielsen. They might have been able to afford Vanek, but but probably not. I think you end up finishing slightly worse in, in 2017, such that you're probably picking in the top five, where that puts you in the range of the Heiskanen, Makar, Pedersen territory. I think it also changes who you protect in the expansion draft, because I think that's the other piece here, is Vegas uh, joins, I believe, that's uh, the following season. Is that correct? Or they join, I think that this was the first year they had their pick. Um, so I think that's another kind of wrinkle to, to really think about. Vegas takes Cody Glass. Um, so maybe how you protect in the expansion draft is a little bit different. Um, and ultimately, I do think you hit bottom sooner. And potentially the Red Wings are turning this around and they have a piece like Chikrin on the back end uh, who's uh, potentially the best player that they would have when we look now. Um, I think he's he's a real piece to build around. Here's one thing though. So you, you talk about, you know, they'd have been a worse team. Give me like a ball. Give me, give me your best guess. Where do they finish in the standings that year? I mean, I bottom? think they're, I think they're probably the fourth worst team that year. Right. Okay. So, uh, Arizona had the fourth bet. Well, I guess New Jersey had the fourth, uh, cause the, Vegas gets inserted into the lottery that year, having not ever been a part of right. it. Right. That's so exactly right. New Jersey wins the lottery at the fourth position, but even if they were, let's say, the third worst, Arizona was the third worst, they pick seventh because three teams outside the bottom three win the lottery and Vegas gets inserted there with, with the third uh, best odds. So it's kind of interesting, like, unless you're hitting that exact right lane, which is the exact fourth worst, uh, you're probably still picking in the same range of players that they did. Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And then, again, you have to ask yourself, because, again, some people had Michael Rasmussen as high as six. Does it fundamentally change anything about who they pick? I think that's, again, a, a path that we'll never know. That's an answer we'll never know, um, you know, simply because Rasmussen could have been the, the highest guy they had on their board at that point. So no way to really say if that's any different. But, again, yeah, Max, you make a great point there that the Wings would probably have been picking in that same chunk of players um, with no guarantee that any of those guys in the three through five range would have slipped in. And even at that point, you know, I think people were thinking the high skin and pick was a little bit of a stretch at three um, when Dallas ultimately made that pick there. So, you know, who's to say what would have actually happened? I think the other wrinkle that I kind of mentioned was the, the expansion draft protections would have been a little bit different because yeah. Franz Nielsen, when he signed, he had the no move clause. He had to be protected. Um, ultimately, I don't know that that would have had a substantial uh impact on the Red Wings roster, given that the guy they ended up losing was Thomas Nosek. Uh, they wouldn't have been able to protect Peter Morozik, who was prob- arguably the biggest name that was not protected. And and really, the guy that, that might have ended up protected would have been Riley Shahan. Uh, you know, and that was a that would have been an entirely different story, and it wouldn't have made a whole lot of a difference there. Uh, but that being said, that's another piece that would have been impacted. I still think the Wings hit bottom earlier. I think even if they don't end up picking, yeah. you know, any higher than seventh, I think it's still a little bit more of a wake-up call to say I was one of the the four worst teams as opposed to maybe being the sixth worst team and sliding back to nine. I do think there is something to say about that. That even if they're a couple spots worse, they are saying okay, they we should bottom out sooner. The the, the twenty-five year playoff streak still ends. 
and you don't have that Franz Nielsen contract on the books, and you've got a piece like Jacob Chikrin to move forward. So it's it's a it's a question that's going to frustrate Red Wings fans for years. It has frustrated Red Wings fans for years. Ultimately, what we know in hindsight is that potentially Chikrin's still going to be the best player out of that uh, out of that deal. It remains to be seen how much Philip Ronick and, and Dennis Chalowski close that gap. But I think just from what the Wings did with that cap space and where they ultimately ended up finishing in the 2017 draft, I think those two things alone uh, may have been enough to, to maybe say, in hindsight, I wouldn't have done that deal. Yeah, I mean, are you are you making any rebuilding trades sooner if you know that you you know you're kind of forced into that rebuild kind of one year sooner than you thought? Like, are you trading Mike Green in that 2016-17 season when he's still you know a half point per game uh, defenseman? Like, you, maybe you can get a, a really good pick for him back that speeds things up. So it's definitely an interesting counterfactual. I'll I'll kind of uh, agree with you that if anything, they hit bottom a little sooner. Maybe maybe it puts them a year or two ahead of where they currently are. Uh, but ultimately, I, I think it will end up, like let's say five years from now, I think you'll end up with the team in a similar place to where they would have been, just with kind of different bodies in those places. Yeah, completely agree. I think, you know, and, and who knows, even if the Wings hit bottom sooner, who knows what they would have done uh, differently to potentially speed up the rebuild. We still don't know that things would have been done um, to move in the direction of a rebuild like they're doing right now. Is Ken Holland still here if he's if he hasn't been facing uh, criticism for for waiting too long to rebuild or something? Like, is Ken Holland still the GM today if that happens? Yeah, I mean to be quite honest, the 2016 offseason and the 2017 draft I think were the two biggest sticking points for Red Wings fans with Ken Holland's management of the rebuild. Like he had done such a good job, obviously over the 25 years of bringing in people. Uh, and he wasn't GM for all 25 years, so I should say, really for the 15 years that he was GM, he had done a really good job of bringing in people, keeping the team competitive. I think the the Justin Abdelkader contract was kind of the first big red flag, but really I think the two things that fans had a lot of issues with was the 2016 offseason and the 2017 draft, and if both of those are different because of this trade, potentially Ken Holland is still the general manager of this team if, if both of those you know, moves are handled uh, or scenarios are handled differently and potentially better. I want to take one quick break here to tell you guys about the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible. Unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code WINGS. That's theblacktux.com, code WINGS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux. Formal wear for the moment. 
Uh, all right, we'll do one more thing before we get into today's questions, uh, and which is something I'm sure we'll do a few times. Of. We'll do a mock draft of the top half of the first round here. Uh, I'm sure every hockey podcast on on this earth is going to do some version of this over the next month. Uh, but I'll do run a quick tankathon. We'll see how the lottery hits, and, and we'll get rolling. All right, first pick uh, goes to the San Jose Sharks, so the Ottawa Senators. Uh, do you want to go alternating order here? You can, yeah, you let's the first do it. Pick? All right. Yeah, so obviously if you're Ottawa and you've got uh, the option to select at one, you're going to easily take Alexi Lafreniere. There's no debate right now. Lafreniere appears to be on the John Tavares level of good. All right, the Winnipeg Jets jump up into the two spot. They will take Quinton Byfield, and they are going to get a heck of a young center. Uh, that is a scary force to put into an already really good uh, forward group. One that really did need an infusion of youth, too. Like They're one of the older uh, quality forward groups, but but if you give Quinton Byfield a couple of years to learn from Mark Shifley before he's got to really take the reins, uh, that's kind of a scary proposition there. Number three is yeah, Montreal. How much- yeah, I was going to say, how much fun is uh, Byfield with Wheeler, Connor, Line, and oh my Shifley, gosh. and Nikolai Ehlers? I mean, that's a lot of fun. Now, obviously, Red Wings' worst nightmare is, is Montreal jumps up to three, and you have uh, Ottawa already another divisional team in picking first overall. So the Wings now have two divisional teams picking ahead of them. Um, Montreal at three, I think... This is a, a little bit of an interesting one here because three is where this entire draft could could really unravel. You don't know, um, you know, what decision that is going to be made here that's going to set the stage. I think Montreal still picks a forward, and so I think they would lean towards Tim Stutzel um, from Germany, and I think they take him at third overall um, if I'm if I'm in Mark Bergevin's shoes. All right, and I conveniently have the Red Wings pick at number four. Um, I'm pretty torn here, though. Like, I think that this could go any number of ways. I ultimately will settle on them taking Marco Rossi as kind of the the, the, the complementary center there. Him and Dylan Larkin alternating in, in the top six and whatever interchangeable combination you want. I think that's the right call. Uh, but I think both Lucas Raymond and, and even Jamie Drysdale could be really good picks there. Uh, you know, Drysdale obviously is, is kind of the, the two-way center or two-way uh, a defenseman that you're going to want to build around um, those kind of players. And then Raymond with, with some of the, the really high-end skill and, and sense. So uh, I'll take Rossi uh, there for, for Detroit, but uh, it, I, I think there's going to be some good conversation no matter who's picking at three and four of, of what the course of action is for those teams. You've got Ottawa now at number five. Yeah, so Ottawa at five is uh, going to get potentially two top five picks in, in our mock here. I still think if I'm Ottawa, you know, my personal pick at this point would be Lucas Raymond. That being said, I think Ottawa probably takes a defenseman here, given that they have that luxury. I think they take uh, uh, Jamie Drysdale here at five. It would be interesting if Ottawa went into this thing with two top five picks, came out of it with two wingers. Uh, obviously two unreal players. I don't think I would question the picks, but it would be kind of unheard of for a rebuilding team to get two top five picks in a draft and not come out of it with either a number one center or a number one defenseman. Yeah, and what we know is, again, year after year, teams tend to put the number one defenseman from a draft in the top five. Yep. It would not shock me to see Jamie Drysdale go at five, regardless of who's picking there. Uh, and so that's where I think Ottawa, again, a team that sorely needs 
defensemen, really, they need pieces everywhere. But if you now can say you've got Jamie Drysdale, Thomas Shabbat, and Eric Brandstrom in your system, I think you're looking really, really good moving forward on the defensive side of things. All right, so six is L.A. They will take Lucas Raymond, and they will do it very happily. Now they have their kind of high-end uh, offensive creator to go along with the, uh, the the two-way, also quite skilled center in, in Alex Turcotte of the future. So uh, they could potentially be rolling out a line of Kaliev, uh, Turcotte, Raymond in, in just a few years. Yeah, and, and we already know Los Angeles is absolutely loaded on the prospect side of things. I think adding Raymond to him only solidifies the the point that they have arguably the best prospect pool in the NHL and and being able to get Lucas Raymond at six when again some people had him like McKean's had him as high as two uh, coming into this season and and a lot of people still believe he's one of the the top three players in this draft unbelievable get for LA at six you've got Anaheim at seven Anaheim at seven so Anaheim is going to absolutely love being able to pick because now they've got a great selection or staple of players to pick out of here you're talking about can I take Alexander Holtz, the other great Swedish winger? Can I take Cole Perfetti, who's absolutely caught on fire? You also have the option of taking Anton Lindell, who's, again, fallen off a little bit simply because uh, he he's missed a large chunk of time with injury, wasn't able to make it back for the World Juniors. Um, if I'm Anaheim, the, the player I'm taking is Cole Perfetti. I think he's the most talented player available here at 7. I know some people have had him a little bit lower, don't feel he's in the same bracket as as some of these other guys but i i do believe perfetti uh belongs in this conversation all right so eight is the new jersey devils they will take holtz i think that's kind of the end of a tier in my mind um so that'll wrap that up new jersey gets one of them and you know they've obviously got a couple of number one overall centers in recent years so getting a player in holtz who entered the season as kind of a top five even top three threat uh obviously is, is a very good uh Result for them. They've got another pick at, at 11 coming up here, so you'll get to make that one for them. But in the meantime, you'll, you're at number nine for Buffalo. Buffalo. So Buffalo's got to feel absolutely awful here, picking at ninth overall. Um, again, they're a team that sorely needs talent at this point. I just still think they've got a lot of great options to pick from. The guy that I, you know, I would look at here is, is who I just mentioned, and Anton Lundell. I think again, he's fallen under the radar, or is flying under the radar a little bit. He missed a lot of time. But, you know, since coming back from injury, he's been absolutely outstanding uh, in the top finish league. I think he's a guy that uh, his numbers were closely mirroring, mirroring uh, what Capocacco did uh, for a period of time um, last year in, in Liga. So I think he's a guy that would be an absolute steal at nine. Yep, and at 10 is the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, they are an interesting one because they've got some good defensemen in their pipeline coming up uh, between Adam Boquist, Ian Mitchell. I think it's too early to go back to the D core, uh, in this group, but a lot of kind of the, the top end forwards are now gone. I'll lean for Connor Zary out of Kamloops, uh, but, you know, I, I think this is kind of where there's a pretty open, open tier of, of players in that next group. A lot of them in Canada out of the junior ranks. So I'll, I'll go with Zary, uh, 86 points in 57 games this year for Kamloops, though he, he is on the very old end of this draft class. He was like 11 days from being in last year's class. Yeah, so so Zary is a guy, again, that's flown under the radar in the WHL because there's not been a lot of top players in the WHL like there was last season where there was the trio of, of top Western Hockey League centers and, and uh, you know, Cousins, Krebs, and, uh, and um, Doc. So you haven't had the same press really over there. So I think that's kind of why he, he's 
fallen under the radar for some people, but still a really good pick, although on the older side. Um, you know, at 11 here, looking at the, the Devils, they've already taken Alexander Holtz, um, you know, at 8, where, where you made that pick for them, Max. I think another guy that I would look into taking is uh, Dawson Mercer, who's played in the QMJHL this year. I think he's been really, really good um, in the games that he's been able to play. He was relatively close to making Team Canada um, in the World Juniors. I think he's a really, really good player playing for Drummondville, uh, Joe Valeno's old team. Uh, so I think he's a guy that would add a lot. Big winger for them. Uh, so now taking Holt and, and Mercer, you're giving pieces around Jack Hughes. You're replacing potentially Taylor Hall that you moved this season. And, and you're giving pieces to your centers in, in Hughes and Hishire. Yeah, so your next pick will be 13 with the Rangers. In the meantime, uh, the Wild at 12, they will take Yaroslav Oskarov. I'm not actually sold that Oskarov goes, you know, he's had kind of a tougher uh, few months since the beginning of the season than I think people would have expected. Uh, but I'll, I'll give him to the Wild there. I don't think they're a team that has a real obvious goalie of the future and this is the range where no one's going to get crushed for taking a goalie especially one that did have as much kind of hype and cachet uh, around him as, as Askarov did certainly entering the season and, and you know at the end of the day he still put up a 920 save percentage in the VHL in Russia so uh, I'm going to send him off the board here and in, in part as a favor to you so you don't have to consider him yeah there was no way you were going to make me take Yaroslav Askarov <laughs> I don't I don't even care what team was coming up to draft they could have zero goalies in their pipeline it could be Detroit at 13 and I wasn't going to take Yaroslav Askarov so I appreciate you saving me from that um, so at 13 having the Rangers I think the Rangers are a team that's done a really good job of of scouting outside of North America and in particular I think they've done a really good job of scouting Finland and Sweden so the the third uh, winger, I should say, out of Sweden that hasn't gotten as much press as Holt and Raymond is Noel Gundler. And I think he's been an outstanding player. He certainly cooled off over the last little bit um, after he had a really strong start to the season. I think all the tools are there. I think he can be a really, really good player. He's six foot two. He's a guy that's not afraid to get into the to, to the middle of the ice and, and really play there. So I think he's a Outstanding pick for the Rangers here, and again, they're just loading up on that forward core. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, your your last pick is going to be uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets at fifteen, but at fourteen, in the meantime, uh, Florida will take Dylan Holloway, and that is uh, he, you know he, he's another one who's on the older side. He could have been like a week born a week earlier or so he'd have been in last year's draft class but he's already played one season at the NCAA level it wasn't a dominant season 17 points in 35 games uh, but I think still uh, a good opportunity for teams to, to bridge the information gap uh, and know what he's going to look like a little bit moving forward so I think I'm going to go with Dylan Holloway here at 14 for the Panthers I think it's a pretty solid pick I mean he's the certainly the top player in the NCAA right now and or a top prospect, I should say, in the NCAA, given that not a whole lot of people do go through the NCAA prior to their draft. So I think he's a good one to, to pick here. Um, looking at Columbus, you know, Columbus, the big, you know, knock on them has always been they don't have a lot of scoring. They've got, they're really solid on the back end, obviously having Seth Jones um, and Zach Rowenski, and they've got a couple of other good players in Nudivara and Gavrikov and, and things like that. So I think if I'm Columbus, I'm looking at 15, and I'm saying I want to take a guy who's a scorer, and I think the guy that you have to look at is Maverick Bork. Um, he's also in the QMJHL this year. He's putting up 
Uh, he's put up 71 points in 49 games. I think he's another player that could be a guy that can come in and, and score a lot for the team. I don't think he's super far away um, from being in the NHL. Like I think he is a player that could be there in you know a couple of years. Uh, he is a little bit on the smaller side, which again may not jive with uh, you know what Tortorella's system has been. He's five foot ten, but I, I do think he's a he's a guy that can score a lot for you and have a real impact on the offensive side of things. Yep, I like that. All right, so the interesting thing that stands out to me then is not a whole lot of defensemen going in the top 15 there for for at least our version of this. Yeah, you couldn't make me pick Jake Sanderson after what I said last week. And so it was either I take Caden Guile or I don't take a defenseman. So uh, I, I think probably between 16 through 20 is where I would value those defensemen. I just don't see them um, in the top 15 with the talent that's available here. Braden Schneider, another guy probably in that range. And I think, you know, at least two or three of those guys we just mentioned will, you know, by draft, they will creep into the top 12 to 13. I mean, they always seem to. Yeah, without a doubt, somebody's going to take defenseman. You're not going to have a run on forwards like we've had thus far. Um, you know, people will, someone is going to take Jake Sanderson in the top 15. Someone is going to probably take Caden Guile in the top 15. And someone's probably going to take, uh, you know, a couple of these other defensemen in the top 20 to 25 as well. So Yeah, Jeremy Poirier, those, those type for sure. Yep. All right, that is all for our segments. We'll do a few quick questions, and then we'll let everybody uh, get moving. So the first one uh, is from Ruth, who just wants to know what we're eating, drinking, and doing to stay healthy uh, and in shape during this and how we are managing the stress. Yeah, you know, eating, let's see, I've eaten a lot of Velveeta mac and cheese. Uh, <laughs> that's a comfort food from when I was a kid. Uh, that's definitely been the, the go-to um, since I have several boxes of it from our move. We've just been uh, throwing it on the pan and, and eating that. Drinking, haven't really gotten to since I've been working at evenings, but a lot of water. you got to stay hydrated. And then, um, you know, working out, I'm currently exploring options to put a, a heavy bag in my garage because, you know, I, I for those of you that know, I, I box, you know, four times a week, and, and not being able to box means uh, – nothing to punch so i probably should get that heavy bag into my garage as soon as i can yeah for sure yeah uh i have not been eating great uh but you know i've been eating okay a lot of soup for lunch i burned my tongue uh the other day which has been unfortunate still still having a hard time tasting uh made chili oh my girlfriend made chili uh yesterday that was exceptional um done we did uh one day of uh chinese takeout which was very good that was probably the best uh meal since the, since the quarantine began um for me and then uh yeah we, we've been kind of working through our our supply of stuff that we went grocery shopping for at the very beginning so uh some pastas um yeah stuff like that so that's what we've been mostly doing we did uh taco rice one day which is basically like a burrito bowl um yeah, that was that's been mostly what we're doing, and then you know drinking. I drink a lot of like sugar-free soda, water. Uh, I like hard ciders, especially if I'm just kind of hanging in and want something light. And then uh, you know going for walks, uh, and then we did like an in-home kind of like circuit thing the other day just to try and replicate some you know physical activity. Probably keep doing that probably every other day just to try to you know avoid my or avoid uh, becoming the absolute worst, worst version of myself uh, throughout all of this. Fair enough. That uh, sounds like you've been pretty busy, though. Yeah, doing a little, little, little bit. Um, Jeff Waldman asks, "What do you think the chances are of compliance buyouts being part of the response to the shortened season? And if they are, how does that change the outlook for the Red Wings roster?" 
Yeah, compliance bias are an interesting thing to consider here, given that the salary cap is likely not going to rise the way it's expected. Now, we don't know that for sure, just given that they haven't officially canceled the game. So there is still a potential those games are played, that revenue is generated, and the cap goes to um, you know what the NHL was initially projecting of somewhere between 84 and $88 million. Uh, so a compliance buyer, for those of you that are not uh, aware, basically it's a buyout that's given to a team uh, in, a, in a, an extenuating circumstance where maybe the salary cap didn't go to where you would want it to be. And effectively, those buyouts, you're allowed to buy out the player. And for the season afterwards, it would no longer count against the salary cap in any further year to basically allow a team to comply with a lower than expected cap value. And so the last time these were issued was, I believe, uh, after the 2012-2013 lockout when the cap didn't go um, in the direction that they thought it would go. And so teams were allowed to buy out players. Then the Red Wings actually used both of their compliance buyouts. Then they uh, they took Carlo Koliakovo and they did his in 2013. And then they did Jordan Tutu in 2014 um, and bought both of those contracts out. I think it's conceivable that if the games are canceled... And let's say the playoffs either happen in an accelerated fashion or or even if they happen um, in an abbreviated fashion, I think it's conceivable that teams get at least one compliance buyout. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, approach, especially if if the salary cap ramifications are as uh, dire as the worst case scenarios. They could be, let's say, there's no more games, then the hockey related revenue is obviously going to be very low. Now, you know, they can kind of agree to have an inflated salary cap, but what does that do to escrow? And um, at the end of the day, maybe this is the solution to that. Um, as for the Red Wings roster, like the two candidates are obviously Justin Abdelkader and Franz Nielsen. I think if there were two compliance buyouts, that's Kind of a no-brainer for the Red Wings to do. Um, which, let's say they only get one. If you could only buy out one of them with no penalty to the cap, which one would you buy out? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about between those two contracts, I think the one you have to buy out is is just an abdicator. I think simply because uh, from a positional standpoint, at least, the Red Wings are still short on centers. Um, you know, if they keep Sam Gagne, then they might be all right. But even then, Val Filippo's playing above his head. Franz Nielsen's playing above his head already. Um, the center position is certainly something that the Red Wings need. Uh, the second thing is, is Applicator's contract goes on a year longer than Nielsen's contract. And, and so that's the other advantage is the compliance buyout is not just saying you have to still pay the buyout. It's actually effectively ending the contract. Um, allowing the team to terminate that deal. I think it's gotten to the point where Franz Nielsen maybe provides slightly more value than Justin Amdelkader just from his position. And by virtue of having the shorter contract, I think the one you buy out is Justin Amdelkader. Yep, I think so too. And I think it all comes down to term. If you if you get a compliance buyout uh, and you were to buy out Amdelkader before the next season, uh, then you ride out the Nielsen contract even one more season, and it becomes very easy to either uh, buy it out or bury it. And then you're you're basically uh, you're basically greenlit with most of the rest of your cap sheet uh, going forward. So that to me is the answer. Um, we'll see what happens with it, though. I mean, it, it doesn't sound crazy to me that that could happen, um, but we'll, we'll see. Obviously, right now I think a lot of uh, you know a lot of ideas floating around out there. Yeah, completely agree. And again, just to get ahead of this, for those of you that aren't familiar, 
if your team uses the compliance buyout on a player, that player cannot re-sign with them for the next yes. year to basically prevent buying someone out and then re-signing them at a lower deal. So no, if the Red Wings bought out Justin Applicator, they cannot then bring him back at the veterans minimum of you know one point zero two five million or whatever it is for next season. Correct. All right, Chris asks, which player's equipment would be the worst to be quarantined with? We've already done which player would you want to be, but this is just, I think, their equipment. So let's say a Red Wings player has randomly dropped off their equipment bag uh, in your kitchen just before a stay-at-home order gets sent down. Uh, it's got to be someone who's got one of those old veteran shoulder pads that they're still playing with. I think Trevor Daly, I remember seeing a picture that he's still playing with. Those really, really old shoulder pads. So yes. no, I don't want. I don't want any part of his equipment bag in my kitchen. That's the exact right answer. And I thought I had a huge advantage here because I just did a story on the Red Wings equipment. Max, and, you knew uh, I read your stories. I didn't know that. I, I didn't want to assume. Uh, but yeah, you know, everyone was saying Trevor Daly has the, these old equipment and or this old equipment. So he is definitely the answer. Um, if there's another one, I mean, now I know most players cycle through equipment. Pretty quickly. I'm not really worried about anyone else's, I don't think. All right, I'm, I'm going to make it easier for you. I'm going to go back in history, and I'm going to okay. pick on Brendan Shanahan. Because Great. Brendan Shanahan, his shoulder pads were the oldest shoulder pads I think I've ever seen. Uh, him and Chris Chelios both used to rock shoulder pads that looked like they belonged in the 1970s. I have to imagine those smelled awful. I have to imagine that as well. If there's any material even left to smell. Like, it might have just been kind of a, a figment of everyone's imagination at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at that point, they weren't really doing anything to protect the player whatsoever, and they were simply just there for the stink. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, uh, PJ says, if you could change a rule in hockey, what would it be? Abolish offsides. I think that's got to be the easiest one. I would just love to see how the dynamics of hockey would change. I think it would substantially alter... The way teams defended leads, I think it would substantially alter the way teams spaced out the ice. And to be quite honest, I think if you abolished offside, I think you would ultimately end up with a lot more space to work with on the ice and you would see a lot more skill come through. Uh, so that would easily be the thing I would get rid of. I'd like to see it first at like the Traverse City tournament or uh, a certain minor league level or something like that just to see what the practical effects would be before I propose it for the NHL, but I am intrigued by the idea for sure. I would kill the shootout. I am way over the shootout. Give me continuous three-on-three until the game is over. Yeah, I mean, the the shootout is the worst invention, I think, to the NHL in a long time. I think that is right there with the trapezoid uh, in terms of just being dumb things. The trapezoid was literally invented for one player. It was to stop Martin Brodeur from sh- from being able to come out and, and act as a defenseman and completely change the way the Devils played their trap. They literally made the rule for one player. Uh, so that's right there. And then, you know, with that being said, the shootout is just an absolutely absolute abomination that goes right in that pantheon of, of terrible ideas that we have not gotten rid of. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, last one is from Iserbaz, and he says, assuming there is a new season in October, and I really fucking hope there is, how does the Red Wings defense look on opening night? Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting. I think the the ones we can safely say that are going to be there are Patrick Nemeth. I think we can say Danny DeKaiser will be there, presuming he's healthy. 
Uh, I think after that, Alex Biega with his new deal, I think he's going to be in a top six spot. I think Philip Ronick is going to be in a top six spot. I would presume that Moritz Sider is also going to be in a top six spot. And I suspect that final spot is going to be an outside veteran that the Red Wings will sign. I don't foresee the Wings going all young players and, and bringing in um, you know, re-signing Madison Bowie. I don't foresee them having Lindstrom up full-time, um, but I do suspect that uh, that sixth player is going to be an outside player with Lindstrom coming up and being able to rotate or somebody else being able to come up and rotate. I, but I don't see anybody else. And that, with with me saying all that, that's me again saying that I don't think Dennis Chalowski is, is in that mix, at least to start the season. Yeah, I could see it either way on Chalowski. I think he was someone who really needed this Griffins playoff run uh, to, to keep progressing and, and show something. But I'll say it's uh, DeKaiser, Hronik, Nemeth, Sider, uh, Lindstrom in the lineup, and then Biega is probably your your seventh guy, but I think he's going to play a lot of games. But I think he, he just starts the season as the seventh guy with some kind of acquisition, uh, be it via you know free agency or trade uh, as as the lefty on, on the uh, other left side next to Lindstrom, probably a veteran. Yeah, I could get on board with that. Yep. All right. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. Uh, we'll be back at you in the middle of the week. I have an extremely fun uh, story planned for the middle of the week that hopefully will be out by the time we uh, – we record that. That'll be a prospect-heavy episode. And uh, just for those of you who are really bored, we've got 90% off uh, – or not, sorry, 90-day free trial at The Athletic uh, in, just for right now running. So click on any story. It'll be there, um, and you can get, get access to all of our coverage for the next 90 days. If the draft happens on schedule, that basically runs you all the way to the draft. So get on that. We'd love to have you on board. We're still getting a lot of stories out there, even though there's no hockey. Lots of prospect, lots of draft, and lots of other other stuff, uh, especially if you're into other sports. NFL still rolling strong. You'll get access to all that content. So join us on The Athletic. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.